Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix, round two, because I uh, forgot to hit the record button. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this week on our panel, we have Sasha Wolf. Hey, hey. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.tv, and this week, we are talking to Luca Pepe. Luca, do Hi, you want to introduce yourself and yeah, uh, sure. let everybody know who you are now that we feel like we're old friends again? <laughs> yeah, we, we have been speaking for like 30 minutes, but yeah, the, the recording has been lost. So I know. <laughs> I will act like it's my first time, so this there, there we go. Yeah. yeah. So, hi everyone, I'm Luca. I'm currently working as a software engineer at Meta Robotics, and my language right now, as you can imagine, is, is Elixir. It has been a year and a half since I started working on the Beam. Yeah, so, so far it's really been an amazing journey. But before Elixir, I was mainly doing research on blockchain for my master's degree, and I've been doing quite a lot of projects on JavaScript using Angular and Vue.js. I really liked some aspects of, of JavaScript, mainly the reactive programming and RxJS. After university, I started looking for, for jobs. At the time, I was mainly looking, mainly looking for JavaScript dev positions, but then, yeah, I just stumbled across a job post about Elixir. I, I didn't know much about the language back then, but I always loved functional programming, so I just applied and was lucky enough to, to get a job. Here I am. Nice. Did you work your tail off to get that senior developer gig just to realize that senior dev doesn't actually mean dream job? I've been there too. My first senior developer job was at a place where all of our triumphs were the bosses and all the failures were ours. The second one was a great place to continue to learn and grow, only for it to go under due to poor management. And now I get job offers from great places to work all the time. Not only that, but the last job interview I actually sat in was a discussion about how much my podcast had helped the people interviewing me. If you're looking for a way to get into your dream job, then join our Dev Heroes Accelerator. Not only will we help you get the kind of exposure that makes you attractive to your dream employer, but you'll be able to ask them for top dollar as well. Check it out at devheroesaccelerator.com. We may want to dive into, yeah, just how you got into Elixir, but we brought you on to talk about this endpoint, health check endpoint article that you wrote on Medium. And do you want to just kind of tell us what this project was, like what, what inspired this article? Yeah, this article was born after uh, we at Meta Robotics had the, had the need to, to monitor a lot of internal services we have. Uh, for, for example, we have services to process the maps that comes from, from the robots. We have external DMS, we have databases, stuff like that. So, so we wanted a centralized way to, to check for, for the health of each of these services. But yeah, from there, I just did an implementation that we are currently using in production. And yeah, the, the article on Medium is just part of this implementation. I, I thought it, this could be a, a very nice example to showcase the, the basic features of OTP and the way you can use Gen servers and supervisor to just handle these kind of situations and scale horizontally in an efficient way. Yeah, and I've I've played with the actor model. I'm definitely not the Elixir expert for this show. But yeah, the way that this kind of spreads out work, it makes a lot of sense to me to approach it this way. So yeah, in the before we talked about how this also then connects to some external service that then notifies you on your phone and stuff when stuff's gone wrong, right? Yeah, but basically we are we are exposing just uh, an HTTP endpoint. And we, we pull this HTTP endpoint using an external application, which is called Site 24 7. Uh, you can pretty much customize it as you want. If I'm not wrong, it just pulls our endpoint something like once per minute. And then if things 
<laughs> Hopefully not. But if things go, goes wrong, they send us email, SMS, notifications, and this kind of stuff that you don't want to receive at night. But yeah, if you do, <laughs> you have to to act correspondingly. So. So we right. already established that this never happens, right, Luca? Sure. <laughs> Everything works just fine. Yeah. So, Sasha's never experienced this, and that's why I want to work on his code, not my code. <laughs> <laughs> well, I currently work for a company where you can like basically turn off the service at five because like the only people working with me are colleagues <laughs> in-house. So, but yeah, <laughs> there's no on-call there. That would be nice. So, so yeah. So, you want to just talk about how you architected this, how you put it together? Yeah, sure. Basically, I started from, uh, you know, starting to to think how to scale the, this problem horizontally because, of course, we are an Elixir and we want to scale things as much as we can. So, the first thing I thought about was just to to create a, a behavior that allowed me to 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 create a module for each service that I wanted to to monitor and define a function that allowed me to, to understand if that service was healthy or not. Then by, by then, it's just about, it was just about creating a agent server that just used this module for each service to understand if the service was healthy or, or not. And yeah, uh, link it to, to a supervisor and spawn as many agent servers as the, the number of the services I, I need to, to monitor. So yeah, the, the main thing about this implementation was being able to monitor uh, a lot of services, just adding the, the strict uh, necessary implementation. Uh, if, for example, now we want to we want to add more services, we just need to implement uh, single modules to 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 implement the DL check logic, and then add them to add it to to the configuration, and that's pretty much it. So, yeah, it's it's very easy to to expand. Yeah, it makes a lot yeah, of sense. Makes, like split it also up between the actual code which sends the health check to the services and like the having the gen services like the scheduler as a shared as a shared component there it's, it's a reasonable separation of things right yeah it makes uh, a lot of sense until now we have not stumbled across any major you know <laughs> concern but yeah of course as you as you said in a previous recording <laughs> a possible bottleneck of this situation is that when you have to to query for the for the service health, you still have to to send a message to to the gen server. So that thing could be possibly a bottleneck. So a possible solution to that could be to to sort the the, the cache status of the services inside an ATS table, and that way, yeah, you can read from it concurrently, and it's way more more performant. Right now, we we don't really have this problem because this endpoint is just pulled something like. As I said, once per minute, so it's not really a, a huge concern. But yeah, in the future, if we need more more performance, it will be desirable. Now, when you say the endpoint is pulled once per second, is that the endpoint to get the status on all of the applications, yeah. or the endpoint that? Uh, I mean, you... yeah, the, uh, I mean the endpoint that returns the, okay. the status of all the services, and that one is pulled by this external application, as I said, the site twenty four seven. So. But we can control how often we we hold it. So if we if we have performance issue, we can fine tune it. No problem. Yeah, that makes sense. Now I did ask a pretty noob question <laughs> last time because I couldn't remember the details on how a gen server works. Do you want to just explain how that comes together and why 
this was kind of the ideal solution here. In this case, it was, I mean, I'm not saying it's the ideal solution. There are always better solutions. But yeah, I think this was quite a nice solution because we used both the, the fact that GenServer allowed us to, to scale horizontally and the fact that uh, since they keep an internal state, we use that state to, to cache the, the, the health of the service. So we use both of the main feature of GenServers and it worked quite quite well, yeah. For some, for our listeners, it's not clear. Like a gen server is basically like a process on the beam, on the elix, on the mm-hmm. Erlang VM, with um, some specific callbacks. So where you say, okay, it has a certain pattern uh, to to build a process doing things. So and processes are super cheap on the beam, right? So like it's super easy to say, okay, you could even say you could have one hundred services and have one yeah. gen server for each of those. And that's really for in the terms of the beam that's peanuts. So yeah, yeah. could consider that now we are we are using a, a process for each robot that is connected to, to the cloud, which is quite a, a few thousands. <laughs> On the old cloud we have yeah like hundreds of thousands of robots connected across multiple nodes. And it's it really works very well. Erlang uh, is very well engineered to to handle a lot of concurrent processes, and it's they are as I said super lightweight, so it's not really an issue to to, to spawn like ten processes. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, right, it, it makes yeah. sense when you consider where Erlang came from. Right, it comes from telecommunication, from handling yeah. phone calls, and one phone call was one process. So of course you can't just handle ten and then you're done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. potentially thousands of phone calls and thousands of vacuuming robots is right in that area right in that that good good fit yeah and in your article you also mentioned that you use the handle continue yeah i i use that door continue because the the problem here was to 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 give the the process the gen server an an initial state my initial solution was just to hard code a default state inside the configuration and if the if the gen server was asked for from the caching state before doing the first health check, we just return the, the default one, but yeah, it was not super clear. <laughs> so yeah, I read about the continue that was actually introduced quite recently in FTP21, and it was a perfect match for this case because it just, it allows you to, to, to enqueue a, a message inside the process mailbox and ensures you that that message is, would be the first one to be processed. So in this case, when we when we need the the gen server, we just send you a message to to ask for for an health check refresh pretty much, and so we are sure that all the other messages, for example, the the messages to 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 retrieve the the, the gen server state come comes come after this one, and we always have a, a defined state. This was at first, yeah. You might think, why don't you just uh, check for for the for the health check inside the init function, but the the main problem about that is that the init function blocks the the application startup. So if you execute the synchronous code in there, you you risk to to alt your application startup and can be very dangerous. Interesting. It sounds like that was more or less what that feature CP twenty one was designed for. Yeah, it's it's very yeah. It's a situation where it really fits well. Yeah, it's basically the scenario where like, you have some initial state you want to have, but to create that initial state, you have to run something which is potentially blocking and blocks for a while. And then you can say, okay, I want to put this into this handle continue. I don't want to put this in the init. And then I can run this wrong running thing as the very first message. And can then, I know for sure that 
every call to this gen server already. Like this, this thing has happened before. So yeah, it's actually quite a good fit for the Hamlet continuous scenario. So as we kind of work through this, then I know in the last in the last recording or non-recording because I didn't hear record. <laughs> <laughs> um, when we were talking before, you also mentioned, um, I think Sasha mentioned ETS and uh, that is an option. Do you guys want to explain what ETS is and then explain why you did or didn't use it in this case? Yeah, sure. Yes. Should, should I go ahead, Luca? Do you want? Uh, I will leave you now. <laughs> okay. Uh, <so laughs> ETS is stands actually for Erlang Term Storage. And it's something you can lose in Elixir because it has Erlang interoperability. But it's it's an online module, and the, that means the API is a bit weird from the Elixir perspective. But it works. Now, what it is, it like it creates a table. When I say ETS table, that's a key value storage. It can be configured in a bit. But say, okay, duplicate values for keys are allowed, and it's a list of values, blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, it's a key value storage. One thing which makes it interesting is the option to say that you can read concurrently from it, or you can write concurrently to it. That means that it's not only the process which creates the ETS table, because the ETS table always has to be created by one process, but that you can say, okay, other processes, for example, can also read from this table or can write to this table. And this is how you can do shared state in runtime, which usually doesn't have shared state, right? Every process has its own state, which is one of the main features of, of a beam. But sometimes you do want this shared state. So if, for example, like Luca, you say, okay, this is, has now to do a lot more throughput, or some of these services have so long response times that we don't want to have a situation where the ser servers are waiting for the response and blocking, then you could say we have one ETS table where you put the status of each service and set re set reconcurrency to true, and then this is this can be read from all the remaining processes in the in the application without having to wait for these other service gen service. Yeah, and I'm not going to give it to you, Luca, to say why you didn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we, we didn't use ETS right now because yeah, we don't have a lot of throughput through through the service. Because yeah, it's just pulled once every minute, so it's <laughs> it's something that that a gen server can can handle without any problem. So yeah, if in in the future we realize we need more throughput from it, we will for sure use ETS for for caching, and it will be way way more performant. Yeah, yeah like one one nice edge case was also captures like a, like I said, if if you because like a gen server concurrently like sequentially handles its its meshes, right? So that that's one of the features of a gen server. You don't have concurrency inside of one gen server. That also means if you get the request to like tell the caller like, hey, what's your current status? What's the status of the service, right? And you at that exact moment, you are actually waiting, for example, for the response of the service, and that takes forever for whatever reason. And that would also like the request waiting for the status would also have to wait. So which, which is something you could eliminate with the ETS table. But yeah, again, sure, yeah. if you don't need it, like it, it, it's more complexity. And like the this principle, Yakni, you ain't gonna need it. And in here, like this scenario, yeah, it makes perfect sense not to do this unless you actually have need for it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. There's no free lunch, as they say. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that occurred to me that I guess didn't really get treated in the last discussion was if you're using ETS, the way that Luca explained that this works is that you essentially have an application that asks each gen server, you know, what's, what its status is. Right? Is it healthy? Is it not healthy? And so, could you then just pull that out of the ETS table instead of doing the asking everybody for yeah. their status? 
Yeah. Yeah, in that case, you could just create a single ETS table. Then each Jin server would write on this table. Of course, they would have something like a key to, to specify which service the, the, the check is about. And then from the external API, you just have to, to create this ETS table and it would be, yeah, it would be quite fast. Yeah, and then you can say on the ETS table, like read concurrency through that, which means our yeah. processes access this ETS table to read from it. And then you don't have this message voucher. Like we could eliminate this message voucher if you wanted to. I think in this case, you, you will, wouldn't even need reading the, the ETS table from the, the workers. Because in that case, you no, not just from, write... from, from, from the request. Ah, yeah, 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 from, from the request. So yeah. The request uh, handler could directly read from the ETS table, get all the status, in, which would sure, even yeah. be a bit faster, like, especially if, if one of the workers is currently in a refresh loop. But like I said, like it's Yakne, you ain't going to need it unless, unless you do. I mean, we had the scenario like that, uh, just like maybe to give an example. Um, we, we had at a previous company of mine, we had this um, one API endpoint which provided very volatile data, but also volatile data, which was specific to the user calling. So it's basically HTTP caching nightmare, right? Like you can't cache this. And like the data changed every 40 seconds. So like <laughs> it's very, very frequent changes and very uh, specific to the, every user. And what we did there, like is to avoid that this hits the database each and every time we used an ETS table. We have one gen server, which, fed, which did the database query basically, for uh, fetch all the information for each user because there were a few thousand users which you can do that in the ETS table. And then for the actual requests, we want to use the ETS table. But that was a use case where we used the ETS table so we might avoid doing a costly operation potentially with a lot of bandwidth. So how do you how do you test something like this? To be honest, currently, we don't have tests for this part. We usually... Oh. Yeah, I... Yeah, I said. Dum, 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 <laughs> we usually, uh, I will say that we usually work in a TDD fashion. But yeah, for, for internal stuff like this, which once we make sure it works, it just keeps working like a lot of things OTP, which is the uh, very nice thing. We don't spend much time writing tests because yeah, it's something we we never change, and if we change it, it's not something we yeah, it's not something user facing. So. Uh, in theory, if you wanted to, to test this, it would be quite easy. You just would have to, to create a mock module for the health check implementation. And then, yeah, from there, you, you can even specify through the configuration, the, uh, a very small timer for the, for the polling interval so, so that you, you receive the, 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 the actual health service quite fast. Sorry, the, the actual health check quite fast. And then, yeah, from there, just assert the, the result and it will be quite, quite easy to do. Yeah, it's it's funny to me because I could see, you know, without the test, do I dare say this? So essentially <laughs> you, you say, well, there was a bug, so we didn't get notified when stuff was down. So, right. <laughs> In this case, as I said, it's something quite, it's very straightforward and that we don't pretty much never change. So it not, yeah. not, it's not a part of the code base that you have to, to, to keep tests for because you do refactoring, you know, this kind of stuff. Uh, I know it will be better to, to have still tests. I'm not saying it's <laughs> it's a good, th a good thing to do. But yeah, in this case, we have not have had any problems. <laughs> I, I will write tests on Monday. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> You're making me feel guilty. <laughs> hey, it works on my kids too. <laughs> 
uh, one thing, one other thing that I, I was wondering about is are are there more features that you're going to add to this, or is it just a matter of adding new services when you have them? I think yeah, in the future we will just add more and more services to it because that they are increasing uh, quite quite fast. But yeah, as far as features goes, I don't think we will, we will add anything to to that because it's yeah one thing we could do if we realize we need more throughput will be to to add a media stable to do the the caching part but yeah, apart from that that there is not really much more needed hey folks if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages then you're in luck we're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after christmas 2020 without the ads signing up will help us pay for editing and production and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Is there anything you learned while you built this? Anything new? Anything you would like uh, to the, share? The main thing I learned was, was Ember Continued. I have never used it. I didn't even know it existed <laughs> before before this. Yeah, but apart from that, not much because, as I said, it was quite a straightforward implementation. It's not something very complicated. I showcased it inside the article because something very very nice i think very easy to to grasp and to to, to showcase the, the the features of the, the basic features of ttp but yeah we have a lot of cooler stuff going on in, in robotics that yeah it's really really makes use of ttp goodness yeah i think it's a nice example like if you wanted to do this like in i don't know ruby python or javascript you would probably do some caching right where you say okay like this function yeah. here I have like a cache key and then I say, okay, I execute this function from time to time, but otherwise I return the cache value. But what OTP like adds to the here is that you also have move the actual status check into like the background, right? So yeah, you, you yeah. don't even have to execute this from time to time for the request, but you can rely on this being there. It's like I said earlier in the recording, it's a really nice example of <laughs> how a generic server, gen server can, can be used and how what, what OTP helps to bring here. Okay, um, but yeah, um, is there any other cool OTP stuff you're doing at Neato Robotics? Like anything more more fancy, maybe? Yeah, well, we're Which doing OTP a lot of fancy do? things. Yeah, uh, we are currently working on a cloud application, which is called Orbital. Uh, I really love the move. I don't know if you know it. Too. It is pretty much an application that handles the connection with with all the the, the robots of Neato Robotics, the, the the new ones. And it also handles persistency on the database and provides API for the clients for the mobile applications. And yeah, it's quite cool, I think, because uh, as I said, we are building this to, to handle hundreds of thousands of multi-core connections at the same time. At the same time, and we are also using distributed Erlang to to achieve that. We we pretty much have a a cluster for now. We have a couple of nodes, but for sure, as uh, as the Request as as the number of robots increase, we will just add more to to increase the the throughput. And yeah, we use a lot of distributed stuff. Like we have a, a process registry where we are using Scene right now. I don't know if you know it. It's a it's an Erlang process registry. You pretty much can create ah as I said, a process registry. You can register uh, groups of processes under a certain queue. And then Scene makes sure that this registry is consistent between nodes. Uh, of course, there could be net splits and stuff like that, but it is built to, to, to be eventually consistent. So if, for example, there is a net split after the, the net has yield, uh, it just, you know, makes, uh, it just merges the, the two registries of the, of the two nodes 
and make sure that they are they are this and they are eventually consistent. Uh, we use that, for example, to send messages to to the robots because when, for example, an application sends us a message that has to be forwarded to to a robot, we cannot be sure that the the node that is serving the application is the same that the the robot is connected to. So we basically use SIM to to send a message to the process that is handling the the connection with with the robot, which could be potentially on another node. And then, yeah, communicates with the node. It's working quite well, to be honest, right now, and I'm quite satisfied with it. So that sounds pretty interesting, to be honest. Yeah, it's uh, did, you, very... did you land on Sin immediately, or was it something you would have discovered? Uh, it's some something. Uh, it's something. I, it was not implemented by me when I arrived at Interrobotics. No, was, I, was I mean, in place. I so, didn't yeah. want to suggest it, but like, did you start <laughs> like when, when you first built this application in Orbital, right? Like Orbital in the cloud. I, I can see the point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when you when yeah. you first started to build that, did you immediately go for something like Sin, or did you have like a we yeah we, we immediately went with that because Orbital was conceived by uh, the same developer who created Scene, so I don't know. Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's also it was really suitable for our use case. His Roberto Stinelli is quite famous in the Erlang ecosystem. Uh, he he created this registry before creating Orbital. I believe it's uh, he used this this registry also in the in the old cloud of Meta Robotics, which was implemented in in Erlang. Uh, before this new cloud, we had, we had pretty much two applications. One written in Erlang that was just handling the, the connections with, with the robots, and another one written in, in Ruby, which handled stuff like uh, providing APIs to, to the clients and consistency on, on the database. But yeah, the, the good thing of Elixir is that we, we managed to, to squeeze uh, all these features inside a single application, inside an umbrella project, and yeah, it's it's very easy to it's quite easy to to maintain because you you just have one you know one place to to put your code in and umbrella projects also make things quite quite tidy i think and so yeah <laughs> this is why we decided to use it it was spot on i'm i'm wondering from my end you, you mentioned that you were doing javascript and blockchain stuff so how did you run across elixir and how did you get into it and this is a nice question. <laughs> when I was working on JavaScript, I always tried to, to, to use it in a, let's say, functional way. I always loved mm-hmm. libraries like Lodash, stuff like that. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I always try to do things in an unusable way, even if you can't really do much in, in JavaScript. I, I heard a couple of colleagues that were speaking about Elixir. I was like, it was the, the last year of university. But uh, at the time, I didn't really study much of it. I just looked at the, the documentation for like 30 minutes. And then, as I said, when I was looking for jobs, I just stumbled across this this job post. I said, why not? It looks cool. I, of course, searched quite a lot more for what Elixir actually was. I liked it a lot, and I just decided to, to get a job because it's... Yeah, it was something that I was that I knew pretty much nothing about, but uh, I knew that I would have liked it, and uh, yeah, I was right. <laughs> so cool. Is there anything else that we should jump on or talk about? Any other questions you have, Sasha? I asked them all. I mean, I have some nitty gritty bits of things, but I don't think it's that interesting. So. Uh, 
yeah, I don't know what kind of topics you like to, to talk about. I, I have some lower level stuff, like how we handle TCP connections with robots. Uh, we also are using live viewing production for an admin panel. I don't know if that could be interesting for the for the listeners. Uh, are you going to cut uh, this part, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no worries. That's it. It's, it's fine for me. <laughs> Yeah, that might be something that's worth diving into on another episode too. Yeah, it's quite quite some stuff yeah. to come out if we want to to dive in it for sure. Yeah, it just feels like it's something that we could go in depth on, and I don't know that we want to spend another half hour. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, let's go ahead and do picks, unless you want to go into your nitty gritty stuff, Sasha. Yeah. Okay. No, seriously, I would ask. No, I mean you're going to edit this all anyway, so I would have asked if you want when when the situation where you this process set after or timer module, but like the build is very low level. All right. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks then. Hey, folks. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top five percent of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. Sasha, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. So to add on what I picked last time, another mental health thingy is um, a while ago, to be honest, a few years ago, I read a book called Drive the surprising truth about what motivates us mm-hmm. and in there like the, the author daniel h pink he, he goes about through through scientific research and shows like okay what what has science found out like to motivate people in, in their life and in their work and like how does the reality look like right and how can you then try to, to model your life and also companies more alongside what, what science has found to be effective and i for me personally i found that very interesting to read like and to also see how some of the things he describes in their maps to my own life and like my happiness with my job or rather unhappiness with my job and it helped me to identify certain key things i i would like to change in the future and i did that and i can say that at the end of the day i'm I'm a happier person than i used to be so maybe someone else can benefit from it in the same same way i nice yeah i like his books so yeah sounds good I'm going to throw out a few picks of my own. Uh, first is Audible. I've just, I found that listening to books is just much easier because I can take it in the car with me. I can, it's probably not a big surprise to anybody who knows how many podcasts I listen to, but that that's my preferred way to consume books as well. That said, I do actually pick up physical copies of the books. I tend not to be a big fan of the e-readers. So like the Kindle app on my iPad and crap like that. Um, it's just, I stare at a screen all day and I don't want to stare at another screen all day. So if I'm unwinding to a book or trying to learn a concept from a book, I'd much rather just listen to it. So then I'll go pick up the physical book if, if I'm interested, but 
I do. So I'm part of a group that we get together a few times a month and talk about whatever book we're reading. And we do the same book together. And so the book that we're doing this month and next month is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And it's it's interesting because initially I thought, oh, you know, that sounds interesting and maybe it'll help me eliminate some of the stress in my life. But it really does dive deep into quality of life and what you prioritize and why you're in a hurry all the time and why you're stressed. And I'm I'm really, really enjoying it. I'm a couple chapters into it at this point. But it's The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And then I'm still in the process of finishing up Atlas Shrugged. And I'm really enjoying that. So I'm going to pick that. I'm just going to pick the stuff I'm listening to on Audible, I guess. Uh, the, the last book I'm listening to is just straight up unadulterated, just for fun fiction with like no moral to the story. Atlas Shrugged is, has very much a political and economic set of lessons in it. And Oathbringer, which is the, the book I'm listening to by Brandon Sanderson, it's not. It's just a fun fiction book. And in fact, funny enough, I actually have, I think I have signed copies of his, because a friend of mine works for him. I have signed copies of his Mistborn books. And I actually have Oathbringer, which is the book that I'm reading. I have a copy of it in Italian on my desk right now. So I'm going to pick that as well. It's called Giuramento in Italian. But anyway, fun stuff. Great books. I really enjoy his fiction. So I'm going to pick that. Luca, do you have some stuff you want to shout out about? Currently, I'm mostly reading technical books. <laughs> I'm still in the process of learning a lot of stuff about Elixir. So I'm, yeah, I'm really into that. I'm reading the Little Ecto Cookbook. I, I don't know if you know it. It's quite... It's quite enjoyable, I think. No, no, I, I, I'm, I'm reading a, a book, a, a huge book about GraphQL and Absinthe in Elixir. I don't remember the exact name of that. Uh, it's yeah, it's the, the the most used book for GraphQL and Elixir, so it will be easy to to find. And that one, yeah, is quite heavy, but uh, I like it a lot. Awesome. Before we wrap up completely, if people want to connect with you, ask you questions, see what you're working on these days. Where, where do they reach out to you? Usually we're looking for like GitHub or Twitter or some other social media or email or blog or whatever. Yeah, they can reach me out at, uh, I use a lot LinkedIn and they, but they can also reach me out. They can just send me an email at luca.pep.nitrobotics.com. I will reply there for sure. Awesome. All right, folks. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up here. Thanks for coming, Luca. And thanks for, uh, having this conversation twice. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. No problem. Have a nice day. All right. Till next time, folks. Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.